This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. Malaria is a major problem in children. These are the ones at the highest risk of dying. That's Dr. Charles Mwatsambo, Malawi Secretary of Health, talking about malaria vaccines. Details coming up. South Africa's president could face impeachment. And Morocco defeated Canada to move to the next round of the World Cup in Qatar. These stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story as Nigeria joins the global community to commemorate World AIDS Day. Health experts warn that stigma and lack of access to treatment could be frustrating the hopes of fighting HIV infection in the country. Here's more from Abuja. It's quite a very long time that I did the test and I won't say I'm not aware that it's still with us here in Nigeria. To be honest, the last time I checked my statue was um, three months ago. People don't really want to go for the tests because some of them are afraid of the result and I think it's good for you to know your status. It's been a while I went for the test, but since I'm married and my wife just put to bed, so I just believe I'm negative anyway. Seriously about the HIV test, I don't know when last I took a test about HIV, but I knew that yeah, HIV is real, I know. I've not taken HIV test before, so I'm not aware if... They do give HIV tests because they actually come to our community. Nigeria ranks third among countries with the highest burden of infection in the world for the human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV. According to the data by the National Agency for the Control of AIDS in Nigeria, nearly 2% of female adults aged 15 to 49 have HIV, while almost 1% of male adults in the same age group have the virus. An estimated 1.9 million Nigerians are living with HIV. A public health specialist with the University of Abuja Teaching Hospital, Wagolada Shehu Kazar, lamented the challenges of fighting the infection. Some people, not because they are not aware of their status, but their problem is finance. We are not even talking of money for them to buy drugs because the drug is free. But some prefer leaving their area, coming to area that they are not well known to receive that drugs. So, because of that, and when you don't have the money to transfer yourself down to a particular place where you're supposed to take your care, you default. HIV continues to be a major global public health issue. Real and perceived stigma continues to undermine efforts to reduce the transmission of HIV. Kazar emphasizes that unless stigma is addressed, the aim of ending the AIDS epidemic by 2030, which is one of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, is not likely to become a reality. He, however, says there is critical need for increased funding to improve the quality of life of people living with HIV. It will interest you to know that a lot of people are living with this virus, but some of them because they have the financial muscle to take care of themselves or to even buy these drugs. But those that to fit is a problem. So you discover that they are finding it so difficult. He's calling on Nigerians to learn their HIV status early so they can help control the spread of the virus. 
World AIDS Day serves to remind the public and governments that four decades after its first appearance, HIV has not gone away. For VOA News, from Abuja, Nigeria. A report by an independent panel appointed by South Africa's parliament contends that President Cyril Ramaphosa violated his oath of office, which could lead to an impeachment inquiry. The panel finds the president had to answer for the theft of at least a half million dollars from his game farm that may not have been declared in his taxes. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. Following the release of the report, President Ramaphosa maintained his innocence and said in a statement he categorically denies violating his oath in any way. The panel's report stated that while it did not have all the answers nor the authority to pursue them, it recommended an impeachment inquiry should proceed to get to the truth. It noted there are many questions left unanswered, including where the money stolen from the farm had come from and the exact amount in question. A former spy boss, Arthur Fraser, first brought the issue to light, claiming that between $4 million and $8 million was stolen from a sofa in the president's farmhouse where it was hidden. Fraser claimed the money was collected by Ramaphosa's advisor, Bejani Chauke, for both him and the president during several trips he made to Middle Eastern and African countries, and it was not declared to authorities. President Ramaphosa, meanwhile, says it was from the sale of 20 buffaloes to a Sudanese businessman known as Mr. Hazim, who paid 580000 for them on Christmas Day in 2019. The president said he was not at the farm at the time of the sale. He said he was in Addis Ababa when he heard about the robbery on February 10, 2020. There are conflicting reports on whether the actual robbery took place on February 9th or February 10th. The panel questioned why no other information about the businessman was made available and it noted that News24 journalist Kyle Cowan reported that despite extensive searches, Utilizing various databases and online tools, News24 was not able to immediately verify Hazim's identity. One of the political parties that submitted evidence to the panel against the president, the Economic Freedom Fighters, or EFF, welcomed the report. There was no purchase of any buffaloes, and this is exposed by the fact that two years later, those buffaloes are still chilling at at Ramaphosa's Palapala farm. This is something the panel raised along with the fact that the theft of the money from the game farm was not reported to the police, but instead was handled by the head of Presidential Protection Services, Major General Wally Roder. It is alleged that once found, several suspects were paid almost $9,000 each to keep quiet about the money. There are also allegations the suspects were interrogated and tortured. Political analyst Sanusha Naidu of the Institute for Global Dialogue says Ramaphosa was hoping to be re-elected at the ANC's elective conference later this month, aiming for a second term as the country's president. Going into 2022 elective conference, he was favoured. And so what happens in elective? What are we going to deal with? The impact that this is going to have in the short term on our investment ratings, on our brand, By late afternoon Thursday, the rand had weakened substantially and was trading at about 17 rand 73 to the U.S. dollar. 
Naidu says the scandal is a massive blow to the country as the president had campaigned globally for investments in South Africa. One of the things that has been critical in him gaining these kinds of investments pledges is the roadmap that he was going to put forward in terms of how this was going to be utilized in a productive, transparent and a coherent way in order to stimulate the growth. Another analyst, Professor Bekim Gomezulu, also weighed in. The reality of the matter is that his political image has been dented. So under normal circumstances, one would expect him to voluntarily exit uh, the stage, as it were, in terms of uh, standing for the uh, elective conference. Uh, Because even if he were to win, that, that would compromise not just himself as a politician, but the ANC as an organization. As for the quality of the report, constitutional law expert and University of Cape Town professor Pierre Defosse says while it's not perfect, it has merit. Regardless of the technicality, the report makes quite a convincing argument that there is a case to answer. The South African Revenue Service is also looking into the allegations. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. You're listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Police in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo detained several journalists in the city of Goma as they covered a major protest. Reporter Jafar Al-Katanti, who frequently reports for VOA, was among those detained. He tells us that although police from the city of Goma allowed the peaceful protest, officers from the North Kivu Police Headquarters came and started cracking down. They forced the journalists to go to a police station where they were held for an hour. One journalist, a photographer for the Associated Press, was beaten and his cameras destroyed. Jafar, however, says the others were not harmed. Afterwards, he says, the North Kivu governor told him the incident should not have happened and his office did not want to cause problems for journalists. Malawi and the World Health Organization are rolling out a new malaria vaccine for young children that backers say will reduce deaths from the mosquito-borne disease. The RTSS vaccine was pilot-tested on more than one million children in Ghana, Kenya and Malawi and recommended a year ago by the WHO. Despite a low effectiveness rate of 30%, the vaccine has raised hopes that some of the more than 400,000 people who die annually from malaria can be saved. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. Malaria remains a huge public health program in Malawi, with about one-third of its 20 million people getting infected each year. According to the Minister of Health, the disease kills five Malawians every day most of them children under the age of five or pregnant women who were not presented early enough for care. The health ministry says the first phase of the vaccination campaign will target 330,000 children who were not reached during the vaccine trials. The vaccine sold by GlaxoSmithKline as Mosquirix is meant for children under the age of five and requires four doses. Dr. Charles Mansambo is Malawi's Secretary for Health. Malaria is a major problem in children. These are the ones at the highest risk of dying. That's why uh, uh, even when we're doing the earlier studies, we found that for us to get maximum benefit, we need to target this age group. The main reason is that they are the ones that are most likely to die from malaria. 
Malawi has been trying measures to combat the mosquito spread disease. Last year, the government launched a nationwide anti-malaria initiative known as Zero Malaria Starts With Me, aimed at eliminating the disease by 2030. Dr. Mansambo said the vaccine is a key part of that initiative. It actually prevents about 33% of the deaths, meaning that uh, if you add the 33 to those that uh, we can prevent using the insecticide-treated net, if we can also add on those that we prevent by the indoor residual spraying, it adds up to something that's significant that will end up eliminating malaria. However, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation backers of the vaccine have raised concern over whether the vaccine is worth the cost. In July, the Associated Press quoted Philip Wekhoff, the director of malaria programs for the Gates Foundation, as saying the foundation will no longer offer direct financial support for the vaccine, although it will fund an alliance backing the vaccine. He said Mosquirix has much lower efficacy than the foundation would like and that the vaccine is relatively expensive and logistically challenging to deliver. Dr. Nemakimambo is a WHO representative in Malawi. She said the malaria vaccine itself is not a silver bullet, but part of a combination of all interventions to fight the disease. Where it was done, we already have seen how it has reduced under five deaths. And we believe that as we expand now, we are definitely going to save more lives in children under five. Maziko Matemba is a health activist and community health ambassador in Malawi. He hopes the malaria vaccine efficacy will improve as time goes by. I have an example with COVID-19. When we had AstraZeneca, the efficacy when it started, as you know, that was also a new vaccine. It was lesser than certain percentage, and people were saying, no, efficacy is less than this. But over time, we found out the efficacy has gone up. So we are monitoring this launch of new vaccine with in interest. I know that other partners, they're saying, no, the worthlessness of investment is not worth it. But looking at where we're coming from, Malawi in more particular, this could be one of the tools to prevent malaria. Besides WHO, other partners supporting Malawi in the fight against malaria include USID, UNICEF, the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis and Malaria, and a global health and profit organization, PATH. Lamik Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. The United Nations and its partners are appealing for over $51 billion in humanitarian aid next year. According to Reuters, the UN Global Humanitarian Overview estimates that 339 million people in 68 countries will need aid next year, an increase of 65 million. The UN attributes the need in part to food export, exports that have been disrupted by war between Russia and Ukraine that has contributed to hunger among 45 million people in 37 countries. Reuters notes that 10 countries are asking for more than $1 billion, including the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Somalia, Sudan, and South Africa. The wire service notes that the U.S. is the biggest donor, giving over $14 billion so far this year compared to other major economies, including China and India, that have contributed $10 million. It is the biggest sports event of the year. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar. 
Join VOA to celebrate Africa's king's sport. In-depth coverage, pre- and post-game analysis, breakout stars, Cinderella teams, coaches, players, and let's not forget the fans from the four corners of the continent and from the city of Doha. We'll be there throughout the competition. Don't miss the fun with Team VOA Africa. Let's experience the magic of football together. And now for some World Cup highlights. VOA's Jackson Mpungane is following all the action from Accra, Ghana. We have him on the line to update us on the latest. Welcome to African News Tonight, Jackson. Hello, Yeheyes. Some exciting news for Africa as Morocco beats Canada 2-1. to This puts uh, Morocco on top of their group. Uh, remember, this is not the first time uh, that an African team uh, has taken a top spot in their group. Nigeria did that in 1998 uh, in the World Cup in uh, France uh, when uh, they, they were the first to achieve this milestone. Uh, Morocco now will move to... Uh, we'll have to wait upon the final results of the Group E to find out uh, who their opponents will be in the second round of 16, uh, where they're joining Senegal, the first African side to qualify for the next round after beating Ecuador. Now, looking forward for tomorrow, uh, Cameroon will play Brazil, a very strong Brazil, uh, but um, they will move to the next round only if they can beat Brazil. Uh, and Switzerland loses uh, a draw between Serbia and Switzerland, or oh, a Serbian victory would leave second place in that group to be contested on goal difference between Cameroon and one of the European teams. I know that's a lot of math, but what we can say today is it's been a big day for Africa yes. after that Morocco win over Canada. Jackson, so now that we see that both Senegal and Morocco have made it through the next stage of the World Cup, do you think another African team can join them like uh, Ghana and Cameroon? What are Ghana's and Cameroon's chances? Well, again, for, for Ghana, as we talked about today, they have a big match tomorrow against Uruguay uh, and uh, a win against Uruguay will take them through the next round. A draw between them uh, will be enough unless, and again, this unless South Korea beats Portugal, in which case Ghana must hope South Korea pulls off a one-goal victory. Otherwise, the South Korea side will beat them on goal difference. Another math situation here, uh, Yeheas. But um, Ghana goes into this very confident, uh, that they will pull off a much-needed, much-awaited revenge against Uruguay yes, after yes. that Suarez situation in South Africa in 2010. You just mentioned uh, revenge, vendetta. This, uh, what, Ghana and Uruguay, it's being described as a great vendetta match between these two teams. Talk to us a little about the background history. I guess it goes back to, I think, to the 2010 World Cup between the two teams? Absolutely. They're absolutely in South Africa. The first World Cup that was played on the African continent, uh, this was in Soweto in 2010, uh, a quarterfinals match that would have had uh, Ghana move on to the semifinals. They played Uruguay in a highly contentious match. They go on into 
the, um, uh, the extra time and in the final minutes, uh, a header from a Ghanaian player was deflected by Suarez, who is a big star from, uh, from Ecuador, sorry, from Uruguay, that goal, uh, and, and it resulted into a penalty, but uh, Asmoa Jan, uh, a player from Black Stars, was, was not able to convert that into a goal, and they went on to lose into penalties. Uh, but they still remember that. They'll recall. They will not forget until tomorrow when they take their opportunity to revenge. Twelve years later, uh, Yeheyes, they've been waiting. It is just amazing. And Jackson, so you are in Accra, the capital of Ghana. What is the mood in Accra, the mood all over Ghana right now? It must be electric, my God. Absolutely, absolutely. Lots of anticipation, lots of tension, uh, lots of joy after their big win, uh, uh, you know, uh, beating South Korea earlier this week. But, uh, you know, again, the match between Uruguay and Ghana is the match to watch, and Ghanaians have been waiting for this more than any match. So, Tomorrow is the big day, and I, I look forward to uh, updating you on how things go, uh, Yeheyes. So as we are actually talking right now, Japan will be playing Spain, and Costa Rica is facing Germany. Uh, Jackson, thank you for your input. Thank you so much, Yeheyes. For all the latest on the World Cup, check out uh, voaafrica.com slash Cup. And stay tuned to all your favorite VOA programs, including the sunny side of sports. And do not forget to look for our World Cup podcast on gold with Sunny and Mokbilia Baro. We'll have an update on today's action on African News Tonight at 1800 UTC with Sunny Young. Hello. This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Nashwan Kali, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. 
You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash VOA or on Twitter at VOA. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bubble music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 